I got a message for your American buddy. I'm your wife, damn it! Ah, would have to go up to the wives in the library or the supermarket and say hello. I am new here. I know, George, you think I don't know anything, but I know people. I get 18 years of my life to stand in the same spot as you. You want your file? I found you your file. You want it out? I got you out. You needed money? I found you some. Now, let's face it here. I've got to, you know, latch on to something in my life. Oh, yeah, you blind. No use to try to sweet talk me, Miss Scarlett. I know you ever since I put the first pair of diapers on you. Who was going to love me? Who, who was going to make me feel good? I wish I had a mother like me instead of nice. Nice gets you shit. I got a two-inch thick solo in steak. Sit and defrost and wait this minute. When you and Guy come over and supple with us tonight, what do you say? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Best Supporting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating and dissecting the performances of our favorite Best Supporting Actresses. My name is Nick Kachanov, and there is nothing else to say but Glenn was robbed. <laughs> and my name is Colin Drucker, and I'm not going to be ignored, Dan, which I planned for you to say, so I had a backup line just Ooh, in case. <laughs> nice. I almost went with it, but I mean... Yeah. There's really nothing more appropriate, especially for today, Colin, because we have a guest. We have a guest. We have a guest. We have our very first Best Supporting Guest. And it's appropriate. Well, certainly we are talking about Best Supporting Actress nominee Anne Archer. Yes. We couldn't not have a really Glenn-specific episode without bringing on the preeminent Glenn scholar and satirist on Instagram the host of the podcast, Oh Shut Up, and the brilliant mind behind Dublin underscore Zoetrope on Instagram. Please welcome Mark to the podcast. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I don't know why I'm frightened, but I know my way around here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a great thrill and a pleasure to be your first guest. I mean, I can't believe you've done so many episodes and uh, that you think of me for, for this. I'm really touched and... Um, yeah, it's lovely to see you too, I must say, because normally when you do these podcasts, you're talking to a dismembered voice and it's, yes. it's, it's like, you know, talking to the Google Translate lady. So it's right. uh, <laughs> lovely uh, seeing you and you're both looking so well and um, oh. yeah. Well, thank you. Well, I hate to break it to you, but I am a part-time Google Translate lady on weekends. So uh, really squeezing this <laughs> the in. The secret's out. I yeah, know. the secret's out. <laughs> I'm wearing no un down clothing either, so we all can be friends. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, uh, we are obviously going to get into talking about Fatal Attraction and Ann Archer and probably a lot of Glenn. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think given the fact that we have a guest, I, I, I kind of want to turn the spotlight a little bit. And, and I have to ask the first most important question, Mark, how did you establish this? I want to say love, but I don't know if that's a, a nuanced enough word, but appreciation, recognition, understanding of Glenn Close as a work of art? <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know exactly. I mean, I think fundamentally the whole thing is quite flawed because I am using her as the conduit for every dumb thought that comes into my head. And more, <laughs> more than that, I mean, sort of presenting her to the world as this bitter gay man who couldn't make it in musical theatre, which is so far, <laughs> far removed from the truth. But I sort of feel a little bit of solace because I think of that, you know, Gary Gennetti that does Prince George. Yeah, you know, that those memes. Mm -hmm. And I sort mm -hmm. of think it's all right because it is Glenn Close and not somebody else, a seven year old. So right. <laughs> there's a little bit. 
But no, I don't know. I always was obsessed with Glenn from a young age. I mean, I remember seeing, um, I mean, obviously Cruella was the first thing. I don't think I yeah. was, I w- wasn't really watching, um, you know, her blowjob scene in the elevator as a child. Oh, you I, missed out. <laughs> yeah, greatly. But I yeah. loved Cruella. And I remember the second one, um, much more vividly, the scene where she's baked into a cake, principally. I mean, (laughs) you know, that was my sexual awakening. And I sort of, I can just just imagine her, you know, on the set uh, being baked into a cake and sort of thinking, I have five Oscar nominations as she had then. Right. And, um, you know, just. And this is what it's come to. Yeah. Yeah. But she's marvelous in them. I mean, I think those those Cruella movies are great. And she's such limited screen time, too. I mean, she's on screen for, I think, you know, maybe 10 minutes in the first one and, you know, a bit more in the second. But it just shows that nowadays these origin stories, I just think they're dreadful. I think they're, you know, no nuance, no subtlety at all. It's just I honestly think we're going to see some earnest biopic where, you know, Hitler didn't get into art school and we're going to feel sorry for him. <laughs> right, yeah. Because yes, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the trend, I mean, with uh, with Emma mm-hmm. Stone. But um, no, uh, <laughs> yeah from an early age I mean even in school you know I remember a pal you know the other gay in my year in school we'd get our exam results back and we'd look at each other mournfully and say you know was it a Merrill or a Glenn you know and that just shows <laughs> the kind of coded language that I think a lot of um you know gay uh, boys talk in you know they they, mm-hmm. inve- they invent their own lexicon to sort of I don't know make things a bit easier for themselves you know yeah in that kind of reality but yeah, we would literally get our exam results back. And if we'd done well, it was a Merrill. And if we, you know, hadn't worked hard enough, if it, was, it was a Glenn. And it was just oh the image, <laughs> the immaturity of it on, on one level. And um, then when, you know, I was, uh, I remember she came to Dublin to do Albert Nobbs about 10 years ago. And that was because nothing happened in Ireland then. I mean, we only had just gotten our first traffic light. And, uh, you know, we knitted our own bread. It was quite a backward society, really. Right. And uh, Glenn came and, and that was Nana from Heaven, you know, the, the great star. Right. Yeah. And it kind of seemed fitting that, you know, she was the star, even though Meryl did that um, Dancing at Lunas thing in the 90s. Right. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, Glenn was always there, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. a bad smell. <laughs> <laughs> Just lingering, lingering at the Oscars, not winning. Um, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast, and I feel like a lot of what you just said about is it a Glenn or a Merrill suggests this, but mm. we talk a lot about, especially as young gay boys, cataloging and just like gathering the references and whether mm-hmm. it's looking at your mother's magazines or catching movies on HBO or whatever it is or watching soap operas when you're homesick from school. Like, is that an experience that resonates for you of like specifically of cataloging as a young gay kid? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think they'd probably call it Asperger's syndrome as opposed to cataloging. <laughs> right, right. But I, sure. um, I no, absolutely. I mean, I remember watching the Oscars fanatically. And I mean, it wasn't anything I was interested in. I mean, Sideways and, you know, those kind of films that were up then. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, um, as you say, catalog- cataloging, um, creating that kind of, I don't know, database and knowing, you know, Sophia Okonedo is in this and Imelda Staunton right. is in that. Uh-huh. And it's just knowing those names, having them. I mean, really, I wish I had devoted my brain to the sciences or something or to learning lang- yeah. le- learning languages, <laughs> you know, something right. useful, not, um, you know, not uh, what Jessica Lange was doing in 1976. <laughs> but, right. Um, if only I went to coding camp, you know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
Depressica Lang, uh, of course, I call her. Depressica Lang. Well, yes, yes. yes. I, yeah, also would have been an appropriate subject for this week's episode, certainly. We Do could have done Francis. Oh, well, fr- oh, oh, yeah, Francis. I thought you meant Francis McDormand. I sort of took a double take. <laughs> Frank, Frank. Yeah. we call her Frank, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, only Franz, I call her, but then they changed it. <laughs> so I think it's just for Franz now. Uh, yes, they... <laughs> yeah. Ever since the recent changes, yeah, she had to switch over. Yeah, <laughs> I would, I would subscribe to her only fans, uh, Frances McDormand's. I imagine it would be her just yes. sort of moaning about, <laughs> I don't know, Jeff Bezos or something. But uh, I would definitely yeah. subscribe if if Frances, you know, if that Timothy Chalamet movie doesn't work out and Macbeth doesn't work out, I'm subscribing to her. Yes. On that note, I don't know how I stumbled across Dublin Zoetrope. I, Nick, I feel like you did before I did. I feel, yeah, I feel like I was recommended. No, it might have just been something that happened. I mean, I don't know how the Instagram algorithm works, but maybe maybe I got it from yeah. Lady mm-hmm. Watch, um, uh, which oh, is I another great podcast um, that mm-hmm. we yeah. love. Yes, and I feel like I've heard, you know, I heard that... Uh, a couple times and then I I mean the one thing that I it's like your Instagram's like best kept secret for like you know uh, <laughs> actress sexuals like Colin and I too that just I mean not only for Glenn but there's so many other deep mm-hmm. cuts that like I think that was one of the things that we originally talked about on this podcast too that like when you find you know especially another gay man like at a party that you could just like that just gets it, I guess, if there's like some sort of reference or some sort of line that that's like, you feel, I guess mm. you feel seen in a way. And I feel that that's what people most appreciate. Um, but it's also like, I don't know how you come up with this. I don't like, like I, every time I open it up every day, I just like, there's something so brilliant that I could never even think of. And like, and it's always current too. Like I remember the, I mean, I remember so vividly the night of, you know, the Oscars where mm. Glenn was nominated for The Wife. Wh- what happened, I call it. <laughs> well, I know. And I remember, I mean, I remember your post of her like in her gold and you said, yeah. give him hell, Glenn. And I remember I got like, I got like mm. strangely emotional. I was like, mm-hmm. yes, it's going to happen. And then, and I remember it happened and you were the first person I thought of. And then like, I don't think you posted immediately, but maybe it was the next day and it, you know, it was the shot of Hillary's book. Well, I have to, I have to say, I mean, it is shameful, you know, the age of me, but I did sit there and weep when her name wasn't called because I was, (laughs) it was such a shock. I was so invested in it. And, um, you know, I remember being in such shock for about an hour and uh, missed out that green book had won and every I you know looked on Twitter or whatever and oh and, yeah what uh, a year and I didn't care but I must admit I had to I had that what happened post ready to go and I <laughs> and I had a post that you know if she had won what I'd put up so I had the two and uh, I sort of mournfully had to go to Google Drive to retrieve um, what happened and not post um, but I'll keep <sighs> the other one for when she does eventually win I was going to say, I want to know what it is, yeah. but I don't want to yeah. know what it is at the same time, too. So, um, I mean, we're all and in in ways like in an ironic, you know, turn of events, like it works better <laughs> that she didn't win for your mm-hmm. your account. But also we want her to win. We are rooting for Glenn at the end of the day. 
Well, it's kind of, I mean, it's irony. Irony always works. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in I'm not ascribing any sort of uh, merit to Dublin underscore zoetrope. Sure. But it, it, I mean, it is that irony. I mean, you are rooting for her, but yet you know in your heart of hearts that it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. And there's something so lovable about that. I mean, you know, and a lot of the characters, I mean, she's played. I mean, Alex Forrest mainly, but, you know, also mm-hmm. Albert Nobbs also. I don't know, but they have this um, goal that you know is never going to come to fruition. And yeah. I think gay men in particular identify mm-hmm. with that. Yes. You know? And um, I mean, this at the same time, I do think, you know, I overstep the mark sometimes. And by God, I'd hate her to see it and think, you know, this fuddy-duddy in his bedroom in, in Dublin is, um, <laughs> you know, really just... Uh, insulting her so much but Mm -hmm. um i hope she'd like it i always feel it's a bit like julia or julie powell when she was you know cooking all those Mm -hmm. recipes and uh, julia child came out and said she was you know an amateur oh god so uh, yeah so when you know glenn is asked by andy cohen in a year's time you know do you know (laughs) london colon zebra stripe uh, and she says some dreadful remark i'm going to uh, abort it yeah Just like yeah. Britney Spears, who can't find her mm. anymore. Yeah. Well, you could write your own Glenn and Mark. Well, Timothy Chalamet will play me, of course. And yes. Then, I don't know. I think I think Meryl will play Glenn and win Oscar number four. Yes. Keep up with Only Friends. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the one, I mean, I don't remember, again, when I discovered your account, but I know it's the same feeling of like, there is this, there's this great running narrative about Glenn. There's the great running narrative about Olivia Coleman that like... And I adore Olivia Coleman, I must say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like all of that is very tongue in cheek. Yeah. Oh, it is. And by God, I, you know, whatever about Glenn, but if Olivia Coleman thought I was bad mouthing her in any way, I think, I think uh. she's a queen. I think she's, I mean, the empathy, I mean, it radiates from her. It's astonishing, really. And, um, and I loved her in The Favourite, too. I mean, I mm. must admit, I, I do think it was a bit of a supporting role. Yeah. Of course. But, yeah. Um, no, I mean, I mean that was a great year, though. I mean, they oh, were yeah. all all of them were were marvelous. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, acceptance but, uh, speech was I I do love that accepted speech. Mm. I know well, it's one of my favorites too. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a bit like Merrill's acceptance speech for Iron Lady. I mean, even though you know everyone, I'd say Tony Kushner probably wrote it for her or somebody. <laughs> but I, right, yes. um, I mean, that speech for such a rev- again such a reviled film and performance. I mean. I don't think it was much the, the Margaret Thatcher, but um, the speech was lovely. I think it really is. I mean, somebody wrote a book about it called Her Again, which, uh, you know, grew out of the whole kind of Merrill myth mm-hmm. that um, because that really was the well, I mean, I'm sure Merrill had been canonized long before that. But I definitely sure. think uh, that was her, I don't know, Diamond Jubilee or something. It really was the uh you know, it really copper fastened the kind of myth of Meryl. I mean, mm-hmm. Meryl now, I think, is totally a caricature. I mean, she's Jennifer Saunders as Meryl Streep. Right. I don't think she, mm-hmm. I, I don't think she's been Meryl since, you know, maybe 20 years ago. Um, that's interesting. But it's, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like when you watch like The River Wild, that's a different Meryl mm. than like yeah. Ricky and the Flash <laughs> Meryl. Yeah. Well, the thing about Ricky and the Flash and, and the prom or any of them, I mean, it at least shows she can have fun, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's sort of Ibsen or something, but um, yeah, I think some of her choices are, are interesting. I mean, I know we sort of think she siphons roles away from, you know, actresses that could have played them. You know, like nobody over 45 gets a shot if Meryl expresses interest in it. Right. But yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, 
I think it'd be interesting to see her in that um, that uh, Adam McKay movie where she plays the populist president that's coming out. Yeah, it's like the sky yeah. is falling or something. What's up. it called? It's yeah. something Don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Um, mm. Well, uh, well, hope, you know, and that I feel like that movie is probably ripe for a BSA episode. I feel like there's there's Jennifer Lawrence. I feel like if Tilda Swinton's not in it, she's probably somewhere in it. Like it's one of those things. <laughs> Blanchett is in it. Oh, that's what it is. Kate Blanchett. Yes. Who who I kind of am a little bit funny with. I think I think she she got cocky after Blue Jasmine. (laughs) Right. Uh Uh-huh. I think in interviews too, she kind of affects sort of she's trying to do kind of an Emma Thompson shtick, and I think it comes across as just spiteful. I mean Mm. it's not you know, it's um I don't know, but everyone adores her though. Kate, don't they? It's true. She's kind of untouchable mm. in a way. And I always, I always liked Kate Winslet, and I always thought that for the snooty Twitter gays to embrace Kate Winslet, she'd have to do a film with Laura Dern. But she did Mayor of Easttown, and June Smart did it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so that'll yes. do. And that was <laughs> right, her golden right. ticket. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, it's kind of like when you have a recipe, and it's like, well, if you don't have Laura Dern, you could replace it with Gene Smart. You'll probably get the same mm. flavor. So Tony Collette must have been busy that week. What was that r- movie that just came out? It was like a horse movie with Tony Collette. Is that I don't know out, if that's out yet? Out yet. <laughs> yeah. Sea yeah. Biscuit. Yeah, it's like uh, you know, small town sort of uh, vibes, and yeah, I just feel like there was like this trend, re- and even with Glenn and that um, four good oh, gays with the <laughs> oh good gays, <laughs> is it the, the one with, with Mila um, Kunis? Uh, yes, yes, with Mila Kunis. Which I, yes, is which that I what actually it's quite yeah. liked. I mean, Glenn was struck with the most awful wig imaginable. I mean, yeah, I know. it was like great. something, you know, out of, what's that phrase, the drag queen say, party city. Right. Um, yes. And uh, shake and shake and go. But wig, I yeah. often think, you know, if somebody like Michelle Dockery was in it and not Mila Kunis, it probably would have gotten a little bit more cachet. Mm-hmm. Because there's a great, tr- there's a great yeah. trend now, I can't get over it, of sort of British uh, actresses playing in these earnest opioid crisis dramas. I mean, there's dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know. I thought Glenn was effective in it, playing um, playing the uh, addict's mother. But uh, yeah, I don't think it'll be number yeah. nine somehow. I uh, yeah yeah. I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, I don't know, Glenn. This is giving me like Lifetime movie. I just don't mm. know if this is gonna well, do Re- it. Well, Reba sang the main the title song. Diane Warren wrote, who you know, I oh. I love Diane Warren. I mean, yes, yeah. And I love, I, what, no, but what I honestly like about Diane Warren, and I don't want to be harping on, you know, about the Oscars, you know, constantly, but she is somebody that is totally honest. I want to win. I should have won, you know, with Lady Gaga a few years ago, who only wrote one word of the song. But, but Sam <laughs> Smith won and then made that dreadful speech where he said, you know, no yes. gay man had ever won before and sort of, you know, Elton John glaring at him. Mm. But um <laughs> Uh, and this year when she lost, I mean, she was vis- she didn't clap and it was captured on, on camera. I mean, it was a great moment. Oh. And I think if more people uh, did that, I mean, you want authenticity in in any of them. And when you see a kernel of that in somebody like in a reaction like that, mm-hmm. I mean, it does make you empathize with them more because they're not they're They are imperfect. They're not these um, icons or whatever you create in your head. I mean, I think that's right. very refreshing. Well, Nick, you watch a lot of acceptance speeches, and I feel like the nuance in there that, that, Mark, you're referring to is like capturing when they have the five boxes on the screen mm. is capturing which one doesn't take it well because they're yeah. all, it's all very much like, mm, so pleased and clapping, but like who's the one who like looks away in anger? Like I feel like it's worth watching this year's because I just get the sense that Sally Kirkland didn't take it well. 
Well, I adore Sally Kirkland's reaction. I love, I don't know, was it somebody on Twitter that said she invented Kristen Wiig uh, at that moment in, ni- in 1988 when she right. lost. Right, right. Uh, um, and yeah. did she win but, the Golden Globe this year? that year? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's the whole kind of subgenre of actresses like that, like Diane Ladd, Sally Kirkland, I mean, Melissa Leo, mm-hmm. famously, or Anne Dowd, you know, Anne Dowd got her family into debt, <sighs> taking out loans, trying to fund um, for that compliance. compliance right? yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I hope she's in the good sort of TV money now uh, with, with Handmaid's Tale. But, um, right. you know, and it's, it is, I think, gay men putting that onto them as these kind of desperate women, you know, scrambling for a nomination because they see it in themselves or something mm-hmm. when it when it is you know the reality of it is it is kind of hard-working character actresses wanting that break and i mean i think that's something to be kind of celebrated not to be scorned or made a meme of i mean we all right. remember melissa leo posing in sort of leopard with consider emblazoned i mean do you remember that famous um campaign uh, was that for, for the fighter yeah oh god and i mean it's it's still ripped off i mean every year you know, somebody thinks they're so clever by, you know, pasting whoever's face is, is up that year onto it. Right. But, um, I mean, it worked. I mean, she did win. Yeah. I mean, it's the thing to remember that it is certainly partially or maybe even more than partially a campaign. And I think... Well, that's like, the thing. And I think people, I mean, people have to be polite and they can't openly say that they want it. You know, it, that's the thing. And w- when someone comes along that absolutely... I mean, Glenn, for example, you know, I mean, was mocked for kind of... I mean, maybe she demonstrably didn't want, didn't say that she wanted it, but you could tell she did. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. whereas somebody like Olivia Coleman, or well, I know she was in Britain filming The Crown at the time, but somebody that scorns campaigning is seen as wonderful and is seen as, um, yeah. you know, oh, they're so above it. You know, like uh, I don't know Joaquin or Mark Rylance or whoever mm-hmm. that steps aside, and it's um, it's it's very interesting who we lump that feeling on and who gets a free pass right right yeah that's true that's true you can't want it too much and you have to still want it somewhat like it's i mean we talk about on this podcast that like we want the oscars and all the awards to be a meritocracy and Mm. and and even you know talking about fatal attraction this week it's like i we we did moonstruck you know i don't know a couple months ago a couple years ago i have no idea Mm -hmm. at this point but like (laughs) the idea of like oh should Cher have won that year for Moonstruck or should Glenn have won? And it's like, mm. my opinion, maybe leading us into Fatal Attraction, it's like right off the top, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm like that kid in the vine. I don't care that you broke your elbow. No, I <laughs> don't think that, I don't, I think that Glenn should have won for Fatal Attraction. I don't mm. think that Cher should have won. I'm happy for her, but like if it's a meritocracy, I just think what Glenn has done feels more indelible as an acting mm. performance, you know? Well, I always feel that year, 1987, when you look at the five nominees for Best Actress, it's a bit like uh, 2010 when Natalie Portman won. Mm-hmm. Every, each one of them deserved it. And the relative weakest of the five won it. But, they, mm. but in any other year, you know, they all, uh, you know, yes. I don't think there's a weak link in the bunch, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Cher is great in Moonstruck. I think Moonstruck is such a... Uh, a wonderful film and um funnily enough you know i hadn't seen fatal attraction in a few years until i you know looked at it the other night and uh i don't think it stood up for me as well as um mm. i remembered it mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't think it was as taut and as 
you know, I mean, I always thought it was kind of airtight, even, you know, getting getting away from the fact that the ending was famously changed. Mm-hmm. And, and would the original ending have served both Glenn and and Anna Archer better as characters? Yeah. Um, but the uh, the film itself, yeah, it, it didn't stand up for me. It was um, kind of a surprise, really. Maybe I just wasn't in the form <laughs> to look at it. But no, I mean, that's let's get into that, because like, I'm, I'm yeah. curious to, you know, get everyone's take on like, how is this viewing? Is this your first? Uh, Nick, do you want to kick us off and then we'll, we'll fill in? Yeah, it? I was just yeah. going to say, I feel like I, I've never seen it. I've never seen the film. So, I mean, I know like certain stills from it and certain screen grabs and just like, you know, Glenn sitting on the floor, turning the lamp <laughs> on and off, which is a great gif that I will start using. Um, but yeah, I think in general too, like Keon and I were talking to that this was such a, um, I guess like, sign of the times like I think of movies like this and like basic instinct it's like the sexy thrillers of like the late 80s and maybe spilling into a little bit of the early 90s as well too that I mean I was I was born in 86 so like you know obviously I wasn't watching Fatal Attraction but it never came across I mean that's kind of like my thing is I've not not seen any movie and I'm just slowly playing catch up over the years but um I did I did like the movie. I mean, there's, you know, a lot that. Okay, first of all, that party scene was way too crowded. I think like a post COVID, even though we're still in COVID, I would never want to be at that party. And the the sort of like, you know, the the way that they were sort of treating the the like the guest, like like the the guy that wrote the book and how like that would never stand up today, Mm -hmm. like in in a 2021 lens. but I, I think I really like these movies a lot because he, I, I think of Moonstruck too and like there is something that feels like kind of a warm hug with like the fashion of the 80s and like how the women, like I'm obsessed with the hairstyles and it probably just comes like from me growing up in that time and just really being, you know, of course, obsessed with women and the women in my family and going to the hair salon with my mom. But um, I think in general too, like as I was reading after watching the movie too, like the... I think that, you know, Glenn looking back on it, like had an interview or something that she wished there was, she would, she would do it differently or, you know, that mental illness wasn't even like as discussed while she was filming it as it, as much as it should have been. And I would have liked to have seen more of Alex's backstory in a way. Those are my opening thoughts Mm. um, on Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Um, My, my background with it is that I, this was one of those movies that I would catch bits and pieces of on TNT or even HBO like as a kid or like you know throughout life and so I had I had probably never seen parts of this movie ever until this time and yet I had seen Mm -hmm. the ending I I mean the Ann Archer and the Honda like I'd seen that I had that imprinted on the back of my eyelids like I knew that and I was familiar with like bits and pieces of it and and as well there's that there's that 1987 New York feeling there's that that yeah. thing that like sometimes big sweatshirts, big sweatshirts yeah. and, and crazy <laughs> hair and and that mom coat, you know, like everyone has the, those coats and it's and it's grimy New York. And of course, like where Glenn lives in 1987, New York now is like a Diane von Furstenberg store. Like it's it's insane uh, just seeing like that version of reality. And I uh, I really I enjoyed it. I you know, I mean, sure, there's there's kind of the, like, 
you know, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's moments when they're mocking the the Japanese guy. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, uh, Glenn's got to drop the, you know, the faggot bomb. And it was like, all right, well, sure. um, though I think I know some backstory on that. So I'm not going to be too angry about it. Um, but I had a good time with it, though. I'm excited for us to talk about the ending because I did just watch that before we recorded. And wow, does that change everything? So and I agree with you, Mark. I do think it also benefits their characters in a very different way. Um, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts on like what did and didn't hold up for you this time around. Well, strangely, I thought I was expecting it to feel totally dated. Uh, and in some ways, I think it's very, it stands up and it's very timely in sort of the, um, I don't know, the kind of puritanical uh, way we view these people. You know, that, that Anne Archer is posited as kind of the good wife and mother and Glenn is, I mean, Glenn is literally Medusa in it, mm-hmm. you know, with that mm-hmm. mad perm and, um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, really like nowadays you watch that movie and you think she is a troubled woman who needs help, mm-hmm. you know, and that wouldn't have even occurred to people. Well, to most people, I mean, Glenn famously tells the story of taking the script to psychiatrists and yeah. they, you know, never once said uh, borderline personality disorder or whatever it was that, that she had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was reading the chapter in Sherry Lansing's book uh, last night who produced it. I mean, it's interesting that it had a, a female producer at that time mm. um, who took the the uh, short. It was based on a British short film called, um, I think, Deliverance or something like Diversion. Right. And they she said, no, the crux of making this into a film is to make it from the woman's perspective and to make her pregnant. You know, that's what uh, gr- it grew from, you know, just a stalker. Stalker film, but it's so interesting that people constantly talk about the ending. But I really feel the last third uh, just doesn't work. Mm. The, the beginning and the middle are excellent, but I think, I mean, Roger Ebert's uh, review at the time I was reading it just earlier on, he said that you know the the character and plausibility are just thrown to the wind in the last uh, forty minutes. I mean, it becomes a sort of adult version of Friday the Thirteenth, right? And um, he said that you could see the moment where the script kind of sells out. And funnily enough, I mean, the two people, they because everyone was involved with this movie at one point or another. But the two people that Sherry Lansing says in her book, they approached to direct were Brian De Palma and um, uh, John Carpenter. Right. uh, You know, who would have made it something completely different. And I think it doesn't quite know what it is, because at one level, it is kind of an adult kind of literate drama, which, you know, doesn't really exist anymore. On the other level, it is this schlocky sort of uh, grand guignol uh, horror. And I think in fairness to Glenn, she does acquit herself well with that. She, she does make a fully realized performance out of it, but it, it wasn't um, as uh, as coherent as I remembered. You know, mm. it was a little bit all over the place. It's yeah. a little bit campy almost mm, it's, it's at the end. It's like, completely campy. I, I laughed out loud at least twice. I think one of them was when he was in the elevator and it goes up and she's like across the way just standing oh. there. Like uh, like yeah. Jason or, you know, or something like that. You're, I, I like the idea of her being, you know, it. I mean, she is sort of serial killer-esque. It's like she's a stalk, she's stalking him. But like, it's just funny to see where, she, I don't know why it made me laugh so hard. And yeah, I, I, I mean, I think we should maybe talk about the alternate ending was it the original ending and then they changed it or what was the, i mean what was the story behind the shift i think it didn't test well i mean they took mm-hmm. it out to okay. pomona or somewhere and showed it 
and uh, the the audience just wanted her blood. I mean, they wanted, you know, they want. Yeah. And uh, I think, too, they uh, didn't want Michael Douglas to kill her. I mean, they, they wanted Anne Archer, who's the sole innocent of the three. And I mean, th- th- in fairness to Anne Archer, you know, she is. I don't know. I mean, it is a good performance, but I mean, mm-hmm. it's about as subtle as a sledgehammer. Yeah. I mean, she's playing this kind of Donna Reed housewife. You sort of expect her to be, you know, holding a apple pie or something in, in all the scenes she's in. Um, and even the way they dress her and style her, it's just the complete opposite. She's given no nuance at all. Mm. Uh, there, there's no overlap between Alex and uh, uh, Beth, who's her, her character. I mean, apart from one moment where you see her playing Chopin on the piano, to kind of mm-hmm. to kind of suggest in any way that she has a cultivate a cultivated cultured woman right and the other thing that's so timely is at the time is that it's making career women uh, out to be the devil that somehow don't the the tragedy of alex or even the comedy of it is that she her goal is that she wants to be married and have a child which is the most natural thing in the world but she nearly needs to be punished for that mm. you know it's it's uh, an interesting dynamic that i don't think really stands up yeah it's really it's kind of like the the unhappy married man's nightmare and in Mm. that nightmare the wife is not she doesn't have a personality she doesn't have a narrative she is just kind of the like you know fizzy haired you know uh sweatpants wearing wife and you know and the daughter is is basically you know a a potato on wheels and (laughs) and then alex is you know like she is what he sees. And like, in some ways it's interesting, except for some of those brief no- moments of like Glenn alone playing, you know, with the light switch, we're always kind of seeing her as he's seeing her. And we're always kind of discovering more about Alex as he's discovering mm-hmm. more about Alex. And I think it's such a very 1987, you know, uh, point of view of like, this is, this is Michael Douglas's nightmare. Like, lest we forget that Dan is an asshole. Dan cheated yeah. on his wife. Like, I was just gonna say, yeah, that. Yes. like this, and and so I do appreciate, in a way, at the very least, about the alternate ending, was the reminder that like this was actually Beth's nightmare, and like that mm. I can sympathize with. You know, well, well, I think a more fascinating ending would have been Beth. Uh, deleting the tape and letting him rot in jail oh right i thought that was gonna happen Mm. yeah i -hmm. mean they obviously are trying they're shoehorning in a madam butterfly reference i mean that's yes that that was the intent and i think it's a little bit jarring i mean to, to put that in there um but but yeah, and even the the original ending. I mean, it ends with with Anne Archer saying, "Beth, uh, let's go get Daddy." I mm-hmm. mean, it's like that in the in the theatrical cut. I mean, it ends on a picture of the nuclear family preserved right. and the evil career woman, you know, dead in a bathtub. Right. So um, I don't I don't think uh, it's exactly uh, subtle the analogies that uh, they used here. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I, I do think that once because I. I saw the ending and then I sent it to you, Nick, and it was and all I said was like, "This is insane." I sent a Diane Weist gif actually saying that's insane. Mm, yeah. But I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well, Nick, of like having just seen the very Hollywood ending that is satisfying in a sort of mm. like I just got to get off kind of way, versus mm. like the the original ending, which I think is more of a like you know uh, let's just appreciate the moment kind of ending, and. I, I think the only flaw in the original ending is that is that potential 80-yard line even of like, come on, Ellen, let's go save Daddy. I, 
But I loved the final shot fading out on Glenn slicing her throat. And I thought, oh, my <laughs> God, that's an ending yeah. I would never forget. Um, was that Nick? What was your experience watching the ending? Yeah, I think I have so many thoughts at the at the moment too. I think like going back to Michael Douglas too, and just really not. It's like being reminded that he was the one who caused all this. Mm. I mean, yeah, he he sort of got involved with the wrong woman in quotes, I suppose. But I think that like the like the ending that we actually see, the like the final ending, not the alternate ending that we we're talking about too. It's like it is set up in the classic horror movie sort of thriller like template it is you think that they're safe they're not obviously she's going to come back we don't know how she's going to come back and there's like the final you know the final girl sequence mm-hmm. almost in the bathtub and 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 even even down to the um you know the gag where she's not completely dead either too. <laughs> right like it's just like okay guys come on I don't mind it. I mean, I think it, it it just it feels a little bit of like a cookie cutter ending, I guess, in a way where um, for anyone who doesn't know the alternate ending, what happens is, you know, I guess Michael Douglas goes and like they have that row at like the, you know, they're like he leaves her. He puts the nice the knife on the counter the next day or a couple of weeks later, they're raking leaves. The police come and they tell uh, Michael Douglas that Alex Forrest is dead, but they basically think that he did it and they take him away and then um so finally you know as he's being taken away he says to beth like you know call this person call this person and then like she finds the tape of you know the actual proof of alex you know that would exonerate him i guess and i love the idea of her deleting it i think that's like such a badass move Mm -hmm. i think that that would that would be something like that would completely but then again it's like you want to see it's like to punish Michael Douglas in that way doesn't seem like it just wouldn't fly, mm. even though he is technically the one who caused it all. Those are my thoughts. Mm. <clears throat> well, actually, what struck me uh, when I was watching it again was that they really do make them out to be kind of they make Michael Douglas out to be more of an everyman than he would have been otherwise. I mean, even watching it, you just are struck by the fact that, yeah, he doesn't have perfect teeth. He's not, um, you know, he's not as opposed to something like Gone Girl today, where they're both two Adonis-like uh, specimens. I mm-hmm, mean, these mm-hmm. are these are lived-in people that, I mean, she says at one point, you know, I'm 36 years old, as though, you know, she's ready for the nunnery. Right, yeah. And I, I mean, it wouldn't occur <laughs> to anyone now. I, I think the what the filmmakers did was to make Michael Douglas the likable, affable everyman and make Glenn mm-hmm. into, you know, the devil incarnate. And I mean, mm, she was lumped yeah. with playing imitations of this for years afterwards. But yeah. before this, I mean, you know, I, there was a quote in Sherry Lansing's book, and I cannot believe that Michael Douglas actually said this, uh, where he said that, you know, they gave me the most beautiful wife in the world in Anne Archer, and I leave her for Glenn Close, you know, and it's just an appalling oh. kind of sentiment. I wow. really was, was shocked. I mean, this was probably said 30 years ago, but that somebody could say that. Um because she was known at, up until this point for playing Earth Mothers. I mean, she played Robin Williams' mother in Garp, and she was, you know, maybe f- three years older than him, if, if that. Right, right. Um, so it, it was a kind of a realigning uh, role for her. Uh, and, I mean, definitely I think it is probably the one she'll be remembered for, of all of them. In, in, in terms of popular acclaim, I don't right. think she ever was as big a star as she was then. Yeah, has been since. Yeah, that character in that movie and even like the expression like a bunny boiler, like Mm. all of that became 
you know, a, a, a sort of cultural pop culture statement and something that went beyond the movie. I mean, mm. you could say I, boiling a bunny and never see the movie and know what it means. Yeah. yeah. And she mm-hmm. has made a complete sort of, I don't know, culture camp of that now with her uh, bring change to mind, her mental illness uh, organization. You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't think it was directly from being in that movie, but you can, you can tell I mean, and even in interviews from from 1987, I was looking at a few of them. You can tell her uncomfortableness mm. uh, with with that uh, decision to scrap the, the the suicide at the end. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think Anne Archer though really gets the the bum deal of the of the trio, uh, mm-hmm. and she. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. I I came out of it thinking, God, this is such a non-performance. Um, I mean, even the scene where she. Uh, learns of the affair the first sure. thing she said is this is this why all of this is happening i mean it's just completely throw away mm-hmm. uh you know it's it's a moment that like exists in so many movies like there could be probably a supercut of the the wife who's being cheated on i mean to go back to a classic example at least in my life on this podcast is Beatrice Strait and Network it's like mm. if you want to have a wife react to finding reacting to <laughs> infidelity you know uh, if you can't get Beatrice Strait don't call Ann Archer but that's kind of certainly what I wanted in that moment that's what I mm. want in every moment um, well it, it's funny because I mean every actress born between probably 1940 and 1960 was up for the role of Alex but mm. nobody, nobody talks of, you know, who was up for Beth. And I mean, there's not really that much information. But I kept picturing somebody like Mary Steenburgen uh, well, in the role. Yes. I read on IMDb that they were considering very close to Mary Steenburgen, Andy McDowell. Mm. Andy oh, McDowell. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Andy McDowell. And also, um, oh, what was it? I missed. Oh, uh, Cynthia Rhodes of... Um, Dirty Dancing fame. She has uh, the uh, miscarriage sure. in Dirty Dancing or the abortion in oh, Dirty yeah. Dancing. Yeah, she's Penny. Um, those were the only names I saw associated with uh, mm. Beth other than, uh, yeah, other than Anne. I feel also, too, that there, I, we haven't read quite like coined the phrase here, but we've talked, Colin and I, about movies where, because this was nominated for Best Picture. It actually had quite a few nominations. Mm. I feel like in, in addition to the performances, too, it was quite like the cultural phenomenon, obviously, like, we were all too young to sort of experience it as adults, but I feel like everyone was seeing this movie. It was like the movie on everyone's lips mm-hmm. too. But what did win Best Picture that year? I'm sorry that I don't know that off the top of my head. Um, oh. I think it was Last Emperor, was it? The, the Bertolucci. Oh. I have it open. Um, oh, where is it? Yeah, uh, I think you're right, Last Emperor. Hmm. Interesting. Um, um, but I also, I think of movies... I can't think of one off the top of my head, but um, we've we talked about it in the past, Colin, too, where, like, you know, the people who are nominated, you know, Glenn was nominated, and the people who should be nominated are, but then there are also people that are sort of swept up in that, and, like, they, they, they also get a nomination. Well, yeah, that's, throw, that's the give, Amy... Give, give, give one to Anne. Yeah. yeah. That's the Amy Adams method. I mean, her, I think <laughs> most of her nominations have been coattails. Um, yes. I mean, the vast majority of them have been, actually. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of all of, right, all of them right now yeah. too. I mean, the only one that I still stand by is she should have won for Junebug. I stick mm. by that. I think. Well, way I, back I, I always think with Amy, and I have to stop myself from calling her Lamey Adams because I adore her. <laughs> but I, I often think if she had won for Junebug, I mean, they'd never have nominated her again. Mm, that's um, a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. 
Yeah. And funnily enough, I mean, she's always she was swept along in doubt and in American Hustle and in The Master. Master. But the two times where she carried the film and really deserved to be there in Enchanted and Arrival. I mean, Mm -hmm. she missed out. She was Mm -hmm. probably sixth, the sixth uh, space. But I mean, sixth is the same as, you know, 30th. Yeah. But um, it's it's interesting that kind of uh, some people are kind of just thought of as accessories and not as as the the main event. Mm-hmm. I think of that with Titanic with Kate Winslet mm-hmm. and Leo getting nominated. I'm like, well, no, no. Or even the yeah, the older woman in Titanic. Gloria Stewart. Thinking, I'm thinking, yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that I, was. I love. I mean, why not? I'm a great fan of Kate Winslet, but I think she is good in Titanic. I mean, the amount of times she says Jack, notwithstanding. <laughs> but I, but I always think you know the piece of wood that she floated on did mm. more acting than Helen Hunt, who <laughs> did win that year. Oh, oh, I have so many feelings. And I and I. And I I love uh, Helen Hunt. Don't get me wrong for a we, second. Yeah. Sure, sure. No. It is worth mentioning uh, who Anne All was the up Anns. against. <laughs> All the Anns that Anne was up against. It was the year of the Anns. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, Anne Archer. I mean, in a way, I'm kind of like, <clears throat> obviously, Olympia Dukakis won for Moonstruck, and I don't have a problem with that. I, I have not seen The Whales of August, as tempting as it is. Um, no, it's it's not good. I didn't I think mean, so. Lillian Gish, who was in it, uh, d- didn't get nominated and said, at least I won't have to lose to share, which was a divine <laughs> remark. I love that. <laughs> I That's love even that. better than winning. Um, also, I am not familiar with Norma Alejandro in Gabby, A True Story. Is that one you, either of you, are no, familiar I, with? Okay. No. Uh, and then, I mean, I don't know what to say about this one. I'm always happy when a comedic performance gets nominated, but Anne Ramsey in Throw mm. Mama from the Train... <laughs> I love an Owen, but I'm sorry. I just, I don't know. Was it really that thin of a year? Was it really, like, no one else? I wonder, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then obviously Ann Archer and Fatal Attraction and Olympia won, and I think uh, fully justified. Um, sure. Well, it was an interesting kind of ticket, you know, Glenn and Archer have been running mates and Cher and Olympia Dukakis, you know? Mm. Oh, that's true. That's think a good about point. It that way. And of course, Michael Douglas won for, for Wall Street and not for Fatal Attraction right. that year. That's right. So it was that, that archaic rule where they, uh, they can't be nominated twice in the one category. Right, um, right. So I don't know. They might have done a Kate Winslet and <laughs> campaigned Michael Douglas as a supporting actor. <laughs> right, you know? sure. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I love that he like ends up winning the Oscar that year for also playing a slime ball. It's like, mm. lest but we the, forget, the, the, you know? I mean, they are the two. I mean, you think of like 1987, you think of Reagan, yuppiedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are the two exemplars. I mean, yeah. Wall Street and Fatal Attraction. I mean, yeah. even the first, I mean, even the kind of idea that, you know, their goal is to move to Bedford and, you know, live in suburban bliss. I mean, it's so time. I mean, it's such a product of the time. Yeah. I know? mean, they drove a Volvo station wagon. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, AIDS is the, the specter hanging over it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, Apart from, as you said earlier, Nick, Glenn's F-bomb. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, there is no kind of overt uh, reference to that. But the thoughts of, you know, playing around in 1987 would have been, uh, I mean, horrib- horrible to most people, I'd imagine. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's interesting that that, it doesn't come up, like, that kind of, like, protection doesn't come up. It's not until mm. she announces that she's pregnant, he's like, you don't use anything? Like, that's the only concern. And the, the other thing is they make the sex scenes out, like, they make him out to be a buffoon in them, you know, tripping mm-hmm. over his trousers. I mean, the scene, I mean, my beloved scene in the elevator, it's like something out of a cop movie and Glenn has dropped the soap or something. You know, where you see, 
you know, <laughs> it, it looks like a scene in a jail, you know, where you yeah. just... Wild. Yeah, where you see wild. Where you see the... Um, and even as you said, you know, the area in New York is probably so glentrified now. But she's in this... <laughs> she's in this apartment in the meatpacking district. Mm-hmm. And it's almost mm-hmm. suggesting that, you know, the, the carnality of it. It's not mm. fit for a human being to live in. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, because she's surrounded by legs of lamb or whatever. But. That's a good point. I mean, there's that, that's a great point. Because I think the the sort of art direction of the movie is also about as subtle as a heart attack. But her, her apartment is, is so... I mean, her apartment is so sterile. It is it, like a mental ward. Yeah, all the it's white. It's like the psychiatric yes. ward. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I love that the hallways are black. And then, I mean, in some ways, like, you almost expect her, you almost expect, like, every time to go into her apartment that it's going to be Ed Harris's apartment in the hours. And instead... <laughs> oh, yes. It's this, yes. like, what would now be a multi-million dollar loft. I mean... Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, that all of her outfits are black or white, when she's in black, when she's in white. Like, I... I know that it's not subtle, but I think, Nick, to your point, the campiness of it makes me love it. I love how obvious it is that she's wearing the, the black leather coat because the evil is out. Oh, the shoulders. Yeah. yeah. I, I, for, and to go back to this, I think Glenn is gorgeous in this I movie. do, too. Like, I really... There's something about, like, the way that she... Like, even her just smoking that cigarette at the bar and, like, you know, we're used to Glenn being, like... I, I picture her now, especially like in her her golden years. We'll say like it's her voice is very guttural and low and sort of, um, you know, we call it like a handsome woman mm-hmm. sort of voice. Um, but within this, it's it's so floaty and flirtatious and sexy and vibrant and like and I I love everything that she wears in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think she looks so sexy and it, to to think of. Michael Douglas saying that that wasn't as bad because she uh, Al Pacino wanted her for the um, Michelle Pfeiffer role in in Scarface, but um, the producer said to him that nobody would buy Glenn Close as half a hooker. I mean, and that again is just an awful remark. Wow, you know. And uh, there's so I mean, even to get this role, I mean, as as I said, people probably thought of her as you know everybody's mother because. Right, like who would be you know, the woman today that we would look at and go, "Oh God, I'd never cast her as like the the femme fatale," you know? Like, yeah, that's what I was gonna mm-hmm. say. I don't know who the the Glenn Close equivalent is nowadays. That you know, conventionally, you know, it's not gonna be. I'm trying to think of someone like ultra glamorous right now, but uh, you know, I it's not you know Jennifer Lawrence. I just mm. always come back to her. I don't know why, but like, uh, you know. I picture some, but I guess in a way it's like they can't be more or equally as attractive, I guess, attractive in quotes as an archer in a way, because there has to be something like difference, I guess, yeah. that he's, a, these, that he's attracted to in mm. a way too, because it's, you know, he's committing adultery with this woman, but it's just, those sex scenes are crazy. Mm. The sink. Yeah. You know, as <laughs> the sink, I know the water. Yeah. I was just thinking, oh my gosh. you know who I, and I, Am I going to forget who it was who I was just thinking of? Oh, who I think is kind of doing a version of this. And I didn't even see the movie, but I I did see her in other things. But I feel like Rosamund Pike is kind of mm. doing in like Gone Girl. Uh, and yeah. I care a lot where it's like you're getting one thing and then it's like, oh, fuck. There's so much more underneath the surface. That's yeah. my closest guess. Sure. But it's, it's so funny that, um, you know, when you think of somebody like Rosamund Pike and Gone Girl or... Uh, you know, Isabel Huppert and Elle, you know, mm-hmm. performances, or Glenn and Fatal Attraction, these glamorous women, and I mean, that's what they are, let's face it. 
I mean, they never seemed to win. The only time a performance like this did win was Kathy Bates, who, yep. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I adore Kathy Bates, but, you know, would never be thought of as, you know, a great siren. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You, you know, <laughs> she would admit it, admit to it first, probably. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And uh, I mean, people probably people, I suppose, probably don't feel threatened by her. You know, they see her just as this Harrod, mm. this Harridan. Mm-hmm. They they don't see her as this um, someone who's going to you know cut their balls off or whatever. Right. You know, uh, whereas they they do see that in a in a Glenn or a Rosamund Pike. I mean, that's I true. adored. Uh, I care a lot, or as I called it, the Jill Biden story. Um, <laughs> And I thought she was terrific in that. And she mm. absolutely should have uh, been nominated. I was thrilled when she got the Globe. And, oh, yeah. Um, a, s- a side note here. Mm. Um, the, we talked about it last week on last week's episode. You had us totally fooled when you posted uh, Judith Light was going to be playing Jill Biden in, in, in impeachment. It's, <laughs> there was a moment of it's like... It's like inspired yeah. is what that was. I really thought that's what it was. Well, I was like, oh, wow. Well, I mean, she'd be terrific. I don't think Jill Biden was doing much <laughs> around would. then. Yeah. But, um, no. Still, I, it, yeah. I, I mean, it's so immature, you know, to go back where we began with, but, you know, how gay men select their icons. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. just think of Jill Biden as having the look of Judith Light and the voice of Sally Field. And that's what, <laughs> you know, makes her. You know, yeah. She could be, you yeah. Know, and I find that especially not with her, but certainly, you know, in, 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 I mean, in Britain, for example, we've, they only had two female prime ministers and they were conservatives mm-hmm. who in, in, enacted the most awful regressive policies, both of them. But yet, I mean, gay people, I think, would identify with that. And I think mm-hmm. we, we, I'm on a completely different tangent now here, but, you know, we expect conservative women to somehow be better and do better. And then we're shocked when they're not, you know. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an odd thing, really. I mean, I, to go back on my, you know, Hitler not getting into art school, I kind of sort of fear we might be thinking, oh, God, that Ava Brown is wonderful, you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Rosamund Pike as Ava Brown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, look at Evita. I mean, that doesn't fly now at all. That's true. Uh, to go yeah. to another Ava. But um, mm. yeah, of course. Um, you know, just to uh, highlight in terms of casting and who we would choose for this role, it is interesting who was considered for the role of Alex. Um, mm. Faye Dunaway and Mia Farrow and Angelica Houston were originally considered. Uh, I can't see any of them in the role, but... Um, well, I certainly can't see Mia Farrow. I mean, she's old squeaks and narcissism. Yeah, yeah maybe uh, as yeah. Beth, yeah. Mm. But sure. then Glenn was apparently fourth choice after <laughs> Barbara Hershey, Miranda Richardson, and Deborah Winger. Mm. Uh, and apparently Gilda Radner auditioned for the role. I... <laughs> kind of wow. love that um, I don't see that version yeah Kristen Wiig as Alex Forrest I kind <laughs> of can get into that <laughs> yes. um, and then apparently the other casting note is uh, and this is all thanks to IMDB so do not write me letters if this is wrong apparently Adrian Lyon asked Tracy Ullman to screen test before Glenn Close won the part oh and well Tracy Ullman is a terrific actress I mean, oh never... yeah I kind of would have mm. loved that same I kind of would have loved that because I think she would have killed it yeah now, the question is, if they were to remake Fatal Attraction today, which almost feels silly because they have basically been remaking this movie all through the 90s into the 2000s. Like it's... Adrian Lyon has directed most of them. I mean, he did yeah. Unfaithful and Basic Instinct. And I mean, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Copies. Yeah, I was going to say Unfaithful. I had moments of like, oh, God, this is just giving me like the other side of Unfaithful. 
Um, mm. So I mean, maybe that answers the question, but if they were to remake Fatal Attraction today, how would they modernize it? What would be the 2021 mm. version of the story? I don't know. Well, I, certainly I think we would need a little bit of diversity in terms of, I mean, I would hate to see yes. it so homogenous and kind of mayonnaise as the original is. Yeah. Um, the other thing that kind of occurred to me to go back on um, kind of demonizing career women is that the other career women we see in it, I mean, we see the secretary, we see the real estate agent, we see... Lois uh, Smith. It's the secretary, was, yes. Lois, was it Lois Smith? That was Lois yeah. Smith, a young Lois Smith. And, and a really young Jane Krakowski for like yes, three seconds as the babysitter. As the babysitter. Yeah. Yes, a plump-faced... Yeah. yeah I, 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 anyway, I, go I, on. I didn't yeah. realize it was Lois Smith. I love Lois Smith. Yeah. And actually, yeah, actually um, in Little Women, in Greta Gerwig's Little Women, I longed for somebody like Lois Smith to play Aunt March. I thought Meryl Oh, that it. would have been lovely. Because yeah. <laughs> she ruined you know, it. Well, she didn't yes. ruin it. I mean, I think Emma Watson I know you mean, was yeah. much worse than Meryl. Oh. But, um, oh, Emma. Uh, but, yeah, gosh, I can't believe now that went completely over my head that that was Lois. But the thing is, the, the, the film makes the other career women out to be kind of, you know, harmless sort of frumps. Right. And Glenn is the, uh, I mean, she's literally a dominatrix practically in it. Um, right. Sorry, that was a complete tangent. No, I think, I mean, I think that's one thing that would change is that maybe there Mm. wouldn't be such a glorification of the housewife and Mm. the simplification of the secretary. And then Mm. here is like this, the slithering businesswoman who's come in. Like, I think that that first, that first scene, you know, where, where the, the boss has the neck brace on and it's like, you know, the sexist joke that he, I don't know, whatever it was. Um, I mean, that wouldn't fly at all now. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think it was like, you know, oh, what happened? Oh, he was screwing his wife. They had to bring yeah. her out on a stretcher. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I, that would be interesting to see, I guess, in a way, and whether that had was exploited more in the 87 version or in a modern version, like seeing a woman like Alex exist in that world of men. Because I think what I kind of like the reminder of there is like, oh, outwardly she's not even the most toxic person in the room and like Mm. how does someone who is maybe deep down has some you know quote-unquote toxicity because i think it's more trauma than toxicity um how does that person interact in a wildly toxic like male Mm. environment business environment how does she deal with them and i we didn't really see any of that in this and even the explanation about her father you know that he uh I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the, I don't know. The insinuation is probably that he abused her mm-hmm. uh, as a as a child. I mean, the scene where she gets sick into the bushes after seeing the um, the, the happy family together, yeah, as though it was yeah. as though it was a trigger. Yeah, um, it it is. It does feel very kind of dime store psychology. Uh, yeah, I love the camp of that of like running away and vomiting after seeing the happy mm. family. I that was. I think between that and the shot in the parking ele- parking garage with her, you know, up there like Candyman waiting for him, like, and and then Ann Archer crying in the Honda, like those are the things that even if some of the parts of the movie don't work or some of it is not like top level, those will go in the catalog of things I love. Like I think a great Halloween costume would be Anne in that coat, uh, in the whole outfit, and if only two people got it, that'd be fine. Like that's that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are the things I remember from it. Do I think Anne should have won the Oscar? No, but I'm happy she was recognized, you know? I also think that, like, just, like, things that I would improve upon, too, and I, I think we already discussed it in a way, too, is just seeing more of Glenn's, like, day-to-day, as opposed to her just, like, sitting in the dark and uh, turning the, uh, I almost said the fan, mm. uh, the lamp on and on. 
or off and on it, it like in a way like I want to <laughs> I, I it always comes back to notes on a scandal for yeah. me but like to the Barbara Covet of it all like in the diary and kind of seeing the plotting and how she works just made the audience understand her more not that like we sympathized her with her but like there is that sort of like even when Kate Blanchett is like beating the shit out of her mm. you do still feel bad yeah it's like uh for her and there is a level of sympathy whereas Glenn is just you know the character is a villain and that's all she does it, that's she exists to be the villain and it's so funny you m- mentioned notes in the scandal Nick because i think notes in the scandal is airtight it's so juicy yes. it's so i mean there isn't a second wasted no i think that's a great comparison uh and something that's because watching this i did sympathize with alex to a certain point i think once the bunny got killed i was like sorry girl you lost me i could forgive the f-bomb but you Mm. lost me on the bunny but yeah i i did in a way feel bad for her and i think that that in a way that was humanizing and not making her more pathetic uh and Mm. i thought that i wanted to see more of that uh just a quick side note on the F-bomb. So apparently, I think where that came from is Kirstie Alley was originally considered oh, for yes, the Oh, yes, I heard this. And Whoa. so there was a woman who was stalking her husband at the time and had sent him a tape. And everything she said on that tape, they used verbatim in the movie. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, Kirstie Alley's contribution to Fatal Attraction. <laughs> That's a twist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I know. Well, Scientologists seem to have a great deal of Maybe this input. is what got Anne into it, you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. She's like, uh, <laughs> do you want to take this test with me real quick? It's a stress test. Yeah. Um, read this book. Uh, come to this compound. Um, anyway, before we move on to some, you know, uh, little other topics on the agenda for this episode, any other final thoughts on Fatal Attraction and Glenn or otherwise? Okay. No, I feel good. I feel good about what we talked about. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that brings us normally, listeners, we we do a Best Supporting After Show where we cover all sorts of things like what we're watching and BSA of the Week and whatnot. But given a special episode with a special guest, (laughs) we wanted to bring BSA of the Week to the main episode, back to the main episode. Um, So, Mark, would you indulge us in uh, another round of BSA of the Week? Last night I looked at every everybody's talking about Jamie, the new Amazon musical. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and I actually quite liked it. I mean, I saw it on on stage, but uh, I thought the film had a lot of heart in it, and uh, I was aghast to discover the lead actor who is so talented is twenty four, but yet passes convincingly as a, a teenager. Unlike mm. you know, in another movie that's coming up, yes, um, high school drama, yes. yeah, yeah, which which I think you know I know I make jokes about it too, but I think it is a little bit tiresome at this stage, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that wig, yeah, it's not a wig, it's his hair. <laughs> well, so he pays no, for it. No, it isn't. No, I mean that's his. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. I mean, God knows I can't say a thing, but it is. Sure. Um, no, I believe it is his hair. It's not a wig at all. Uh, wow! Yeah, I did not know that. But um, oof, yikes! I don't know, but mm, I think I mean talking about fatal attraction. I mean, dear Evan Hansen is so morally bankrupt. The idea of it, yeah, you know, this yeah. this this uh, kid ingratiates himself with a grieving family. I mean, it's appalling. I know. I think they have softened it, softened it a bit for the film mm-hmm. version. But I mean, you know, Julianne singing. I mean. I'm sure that's a sight that. to behold. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, uh, yeah, I, there, that I, I did not know she was a singer. I don't know if she is. But um, when I had never really known what the plot of Dear Evan Hansen was. Yeah. And then when I read it, it was like, 
oh, oh, this is I think awful. The, I think kind of the elephant in the room. Um, I think I've said that phrase about three times already. Oh, but I think okay. the, I think the uh, problem with Dear Evan Hansen is that he's playing a straight uh, teenager in it. I think if it was. I think give a little bit more leeway when it's a queer character. I know that is appalling as though it justifies it. Right. But th- there is that kind of um, thing where you know people don't know what's appropriate and you know they're finding that, that journey for themselves. I mean, I think the problem, I mean, apart from the fact that the, his father produced it and the nepotism, and, you know, I often think we hear all the time about Hollywood nepotism. What about, you know, Hollywood simony and absenteeism? Right. But... Um, well, it kind of was funnier in my head, but uh, <laughs> the thing about about uh, Jamie on, on Amazon, even though I loathe Amazon, but it, sure. it, again, it was lived in. I mean, it was it's about this teenager in, in Sheffield in England that, you know, has to you know do a paper route to fund the drag. And I mean, it's very kitchen sink. It isn't glamorized. It isn't at all like the prom was because it's, the plot's very mm-hmm. similar. You know, a gay kid not being able to attend the uh, the prom. So uh, that's what I appreciated. And in fact, they uh, they did a There's a number about sort of the AIDS crisis that, you know, mm. it's like it's, it's practically like it's been lifted from It's a Sin. I mean, did you see that? I was going to ask you if you'd seen that because I heard that was amazing. Oh, it's tr- well, funnily enough, I, I mean, again, finding fault with things as a substitute for a personality. <laughs> but I, um, I I did think it was a little bit kind of unfinished, unformed. But I mean, it was you know far better than anything else that's you know around now. Mm. But but this number that Richard E. Grant's character sings is you know it it could have been a montage from It's a Sin. You know I mean it's about mm. the song's about Freddie Mercury. It was an original original song, uh, Dying of AIDS. And uh, yeah, I mean moments like that I think um, resonated. Maybe it was just something that I uh, uh, appreciated. But um, yeah, I would recommend anyone to see it. Okay. Yeah, great. Um, I'm excited for I it too. I mean, I I, I tiptoe with musicals. I might ma- I might ask Nick to watch it first, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and then let me know. I think we'd like it. Yeah, mm. I think we'd like it. Uh, I'm gonna hop in with my BSA of the week. Um, speaking of musicals, I have like a nominee. Um, is the like a new trailer for the West Side Story mm. movie came out, and I am. I'm really excited. I, I, you know, when they first announced that they were making the remake, I guess there's they changed up the script a little bit too, um, as well. So I'm really, really interested. It looks gorgeous. Mm. I cried like twice during yeah. the new trailer. Mm. Like I, I will never. I don't know. It's just it's like I they're remaking everything. I think it's just something that like everyone just has to deal with, and I, I, I don't want to be too precious about it. And I'm, I'm. I think with the new trailer, even with the teaser trailer, I was I was kind of already, you know, uh, giving in, I guess, too. But especially with this one, I, I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be gorgeous. And uh, have you guys seen it mm. at all? I have seen the new trailer. Yeah. yeah, I just saw it actually. I was showing my friend the other day and I was like, oh, this is a new trailer. This is so much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks. Yeah, I, I'm excited. I my only thought was like, God, I hope it doesn't feel like Newsies. Like, I hope it feels, <laughs> you know, like more meaty, you know? Yeah, I'm very, I mean, of course, I'm always interested in, you know, Anita and um, Ariana DeBose. Mm-hmm. I, I have high hopes for her. I mean, I I saw her in Schmigadoo, and I thought she was great in that. Um, you know, I, I, I no one's ever going to be Rita Moreno, so I just mm-hmm. have to, like, kind of set that aside and just appreciate that, like, a, a new 
younger audience will like appreciate and know the movie and hopefully go back to the original mm-hmm. and you know really fully experience that i think though though the original i mean for a film that won 10 oscars i don't think west side mm-hmm. story the 1961 version not that it doesn't stand up but it's very stagey um certainly sondheim is you know I mean, he hates I am I feel pretty, or, you know, low. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea that a Cuba, uh, that a Puerto Rican Cuban, a Puerto mm-hmm. Rican girl in 1960 in whatever would have said it's alarming how charming I feel, you know, <laughs> yes. he has right. always kind of resented that um, or, or not resented it, but disapproved of himself for coming up with the lyrics. So I think apart from, you know, Ansel Elgort, who has the whole controversy around him. But, yeah. but this this new version seems like a corrective measure in a way. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not kind of precious about it at all. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait. I think it, out of all the movie musicals that have been coming out and are out, I think that's what I'm most well, excited the for. The one I'm waiting for is Glenn and Sunset, of course. Um, oh, of you know, course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, like, yes. A thrilling uh, performance as Gado in uh, the Sunset <laughs> movie. Oh, I, know. I almost don't want it to come out because I'm just so afraid it's going to like bomb and like this thing that we're all waiting for Glenn to finally get our Oscar for is just going to be like a, a bloated mess on screen. Mm. I don't know, but maybe that'll be great. Yeah. You know, look at cats. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, Oh, but yes. my actual BSA of the week, sorry, just to, to finish here is, um, I watched and I talked to Colin about it already too, this week too, but I finally, finally watched Midsummer. Um, the Florence Pugh vehicle that I, I am, you know, I don't know if you know this, Mark, but I am, I'm not really built for horror, that genre is specifically because my mind gets the best of me. And I, you know, it took me about three months to recover from hereditary. Um, (laughs) I would, every time I got scared, I would just think of Anne Dowd and how great she is. And, um, but I, it was, it was a lot for me, but Midsummer is great and I really enjoyed it. And I think, I think seeing hereditary kind of primed me for this and i also knew a lot about like you know the more gruesome parts of it of you know uh, without spoiling even though it's been out for like years at this point too but i really love florence Pugh. i i'm excited to see like i i feel like she's jumping into like the marvel sphere mm, lately. yeah or, or like but and, and that i almost said that upsets me but like as if i have any say over her career or like what her choice is too but like you know i i want those sort of prestige actress movies but she can do whatever she wants obviously um but i i really like the movie i'm i'm very interested for like whatever ari aster comes out with next i just feel like he's an interesting filmmaker and um and midsummer was something that i thought that i was really going to be terrified of and it wasn't so bad i went to sleep with like a minimum amount of fear that night but um yeah finally saw it (laughs) yeah it's a i mean that movie the only thing that like i would watch it again but i would just skip the first 15 minutes i just can't see the like mark did you have you seen midsummer I haven't actually. Oh, I mean, okay. I well, must, I won't say anything. I must oh, look it up. Yeah, okay. I won't say anything. Okay. Uh, I was a bit snotty about Florence Pugh, to be honest. I thought it was people trying to create a female Chalamet. Okay. Um, but <laughs> sure. I, right. um, no, I, I must uh, look at it because Jack Rayner is the lead in it, isn't he? The, the Irish actor. Thinks. Uh, the, the, one, the one, in the, the one in the bear costume. Yes, the boyfriend. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. Yes, yes, the boyfriend. Yeah. Kind of looks like Chris Pratt. You know, yeah. Mm. I feel like um, Florence Pugh kind of took over the career of Hayden Panettiere. <laughs> mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like they they could play sisters, and like uh, I feel like w- just even like the 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 deep sort of raspy voice as well mm. too. But like, because Hayden is great, yeah. and then you know she kind of did 
feel like she did that Nashville show with yeah. Honey Britton. Mm-hmm. Speaking um, of um, of Hayden Panettiere, um, you haven't seen, remember Christy Carlson Romano that was on mm-hmm. Even Stevens? She has, yeah. someone only showed this to me yesterday, but she has a YouTube channel in which she disparages anyone that kind of, she thinks has her career. So she bashes Katy Perry, bashes Anne Hathaway. And it's actually, you know, oh it's, 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 it, I mean, I make it out to sound like it's, you know, just kind of spitefulness and bitterness, but it's not at all. It's, it's fascinating, a fascinating kind of look into what it means to be, you know, a, a Disney child star in the 2000s. And it actually is a lot more uh, touching than I would have thought it would have been. Huh. I mean, it does. I mean, the titles are very clickbaity, like, you know, why Anne Hathaway was cast in Princess Diaries sure. and not me. Right. But um, uh, yeah, I, sorry I just, to cut over you. But. I've just seen a bit about that on Twitter. I, I saw people posting screenshots of that and I was like, OK, mm. should I approach this? Like, what attitude should I approach this going in? Should I be on her side? Like, it, I'm uh, I mean, I love it. I love the idea of somebody kind of pulling mm. back the curtain anytime. So but it goes back to what we be- began with. I mean, we're not people aren't allowed to be honest and be open. Right. And you sort of feel yeah. you sort of feel like, I mean, you know, who's she to be doing this? You know, well, I don't mean that she's washed up or whatever, but you kind of feel it does smack of sort of desperation. But it, it, it isn't in essence when you look at it. Yeah, um, it is. It is a lot. It has much more heft than that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. OK, then I'll, I'll check that out. Um, yeah, that sounds. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was just going to kind of like fluff over it like eh, probably not my probably not worth the, the space in my brain. Um Sort of on topic of that, my my BSA of the week, and it, uh, this will probably still be true in, in a couple weeks when this comes out, is the show on HBO, The Other Two. Uh, oh yes, yes. I, uh, Mark, have you seen have you seen any episodes of it? Or are you? Off I have, but I I kind oh. of know the the sort of generic um, kind of same. Me, yeah, I've not it. seen it. Yeah, but. it's um. So for anyone who doesn't know, it's about the two older siblings of a, a viral Justin Bieber type. Who, you know, and it's all, if you liked difficult people, you'll love this because it's the same mix of like surreal with kind of more, you know, genuine narratives and moments of, you know, authentic emotions, but then a lot of just like, you know, uh, satire of, of fame in Hollywood and New York. And um, one of the, the siblings is gay. So any gay man in his late <laughs> 20s, early 30s will feel read to filth at moments by this character. Sure. Um, there's just things where I'm like, um, I'm sorry, I thought I was the only one who thought or said or did that. I don't need you exposing me on HBO. <laughs> uh, and I think the most important poll is that their mother is played by Molly Shannon in a phenomenal performance. That Pat, right? Pat. I've seen that all Pat. over Instagram. Yes, yes, that, yes it's Pat. Yeah, the yes. role really grows in season two. It is so good. I... I Cannot recommend it enough. I, you know, Nick, prepare for a hacks protocol. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, Mark, prepare for a hacks protocol. I'll make anybody watch this. It is <laughs> yeah. so fucking good. And I think, especially as gay men, uh, I am very proud that this is like gay content on television. That's what I would say. Nice. Um, and it's, yeah, it's great. Uh, so that's my BSA of the week. And, um, Lovely. I think this is when we get played off, even with guests. Uh, the orchestra does not <laughs> happens care. every time. This is where we get played off. Um, Mark, I don't know if you know this, but we pipe in the played off music afterwards. So um, <laughs> before we go, Mark, where can folks find more of you? 
Well, I'm on Instagram at uh, Dublin underscore Zoetrope. I mean, my yep. middle name is underscore. <laughs> but whenever, whenever I get a bit too big for my boots and sort of think I'm, you know, a great prestige gay, I remember that people think my name is Dublin Zoetrope. <laughs> but, that, but that's where you can, that's where you can find me on Twitter or on Inst- well, or Twitter. But I'm not, I don't really bother yeah. with Twitter. But Instagram, Dublin underscore Zoetrope. But uh, thank you so much. Yes, yes, of course. Thank you. Um, no, not at all. It was a pleasure. I mean, I've been a fan of Best Supporting Podcast for like a year now. I mean, I, you know, so it was a real thrill. Thank you both. Thank you, Colin. Thank oh, you, Nick. of course, of course. Thank you. Um, Nick, where's more of you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nick Kachanov and my other podcast, The Good Vanilla, which is a Barefoot Contessa recap podcast that comes out every Thursday. And I'm going to throw one more plug in here. If you haven't already, folks, head over to Spotify and listen to Mark's podcast, <laughs> Oh Shut Up. It is just like 15 to 18 minutes of bliss. And I, I hope you continue. I, I for one, am... Um, you know, campaigning for more episodes and so look forward to when you release them. Well, thank you. That, that, that means a, a great deal because really I only kind of started it as sort of an exploratory podcast. I mean, I wasn't kind of committing to, you know, a Kirsty Alley run in Cheers. It was really, <laughs> it, was, it was until I, you know, ran out of the titles of Glenn's nominations. So I just finished with Hillary's Elegy. Well, I, I fully second that endorsement. I love Oh Shut Up. Uh, oh, thank and if, you. And if you Ohio want... State University, I call it. OSU. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm Not sure to be confused, that... yeah. No. Uh, and if you want even more podcasting, you can find me on my other two podcasts, either All Right Married, or finally, in the details, a celebration of nuance is back. And you can also find more of me on Twitter at Colin Drucker. Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And of course, you can get more of both of us in a best supporting capacity on Twitter at BSA pod. Or you can send us an email at the BSA pod at gmail.com. Well, if you've peeled those peepers preemptively, unpeel them because we will not have an after show this week. We've covered everything this episode. Uh, That's right. So we will see you next week for another episode. And that, as they say, is that. <laughs> <laughs>